0: Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Listen In Podcast, hosted by Jake and Sean. It is episode 92 in our runtime here. Getting close to 100! That's right, we're we're creeping up on
1: 100, and Sean, you know what episode 92 means? What's that, Jake? We're talking 1992 albums, and here's some for you. We had Automatic for the People by R.E.M., Mm -hmm. Check Your Head from uh, the Beastie Boys, Slanted and Enchanted, Sean's personal favorite album oh, of all time. Oh, God.
0: Nope. By wrong,
1: Pavement. Wrong. Sean's personal favorite. Um, Morrissey put out a record. The Black Crows put out a record. Dr. Dre dropped The Chronic. Alice in Chains put out Dirt. Aphex Twin put out Selected Ambient Works. Mm. 85 to 92. Let me see if I can find one. one more. How about. Uh, ooh, how about this one? Core by Stone Temple Pilots.
0: Ah, R.I.P. Scott
1: Weiland. There's going to be a lot of R.I.P.s in this episode. There are. This is kind of a somber episode. And I think fitting that it
0: falls, Sean, on the year of our birth. So I was going to say, 1992 history, Jake. Yeah. We can't forget. We were both born in the summer of 1992.
1: Yeah, and as you go to history, I have a guess that this is a pretty uneventful year historically. But... In the scope of this podcast, it's actually the most important year because if 1992 is wiped from the books and 1993 became the new 1992, (laughs) we would never have been born. And this podcast never would
0: have happened. That's true. Maybe some listeners would be happy about that. Who knows?
1: That is a fair point.
0: Yeah, maybe that would have done them a favor. Anyways, 1992, relatively uneventful. Um, So Bill Clinton defeats George H.W. Bush. Big win for the Democrats. Doesn't it feel like... George Sr. was a two-term president, even though he wasn't? I've somehow had it embedded in my memory that he wasn't, so I don't feel that okay, way, but okay. I know why you would. Growing up, I was always like, oh yeah, two-term for him. It, that wasn't the case. This
1: is jumping ahead a little, but speaking of Clinton, this morning I was listening to a news podcast, and they were talking about the recent shooting, which we'll get to, and they did like this very brief rundown of shootings in history since Columbine, Mm. and it was crazy to me to hear that after Columbine it was Bill Clinton uh, addressing the country,
0: because it was 1999, and I was like, dude, that's so long ago now. Wow, that's crazy. 18 years ago. Yeah, weird. And then the other big one, Hurricane Andrew, Category 5 hurricane, killed 65 people, Florida Gulf Coast, costliest natural disaster until Hurricane Katrina in 2005. So what I'm starting to see about the 90s, and we'll get into this in future episodes, is this starts to be like natural disasters happening a lot. I think we're, we started to see early effects of global warming then and maybe just know, didn't attribute it, attribute it to that yet. Yeah, we were just all caught up in, you know, Seinfeld yeah. and
1: Friends, the go-go 90s. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. people were getting their hair cut like Rachel. You know, people right. didn't have time to worry about no, no. major
0: simpler times. Yeah, natural simpler disasters. Time. So, yeah, good point though. 92, kind of a nothing year, year we were born, and it's fitting that episode 92 is kind of like one of the most depressing, somber, and sad episodes that we'll maybe ever do. Yeah. For a few different reasons. Because
1: there's not a lot in the way of good news, because as probably every listener who's tuned in right now knows, uh, we lost Tom Petty a couple days ago. October 2nd, Uh, Petty, I think, suffered cardiac arrest. Yeah. And this was a weird thing where... It was announced he was, like, through that day, it was first announced he had suffered cardiac arrest and was on life support. Then it was announced he was taken off life support. And then he was, quote-unquote, confirmed dead by several sources. And then later that night, I'm looking through Twitter, and he's alive again. Yeah. This was... An awesome couple hours to be on Twitter, by the way. <laughs> if you're looking around social media, because people were making these awesome, like, people were rooting for Petty. Everyone was you're, you're, pulling, like, because right. everyone was pulling for him. Right. And there were people who were like, this makes sense that Tom Petty would be dead and then not dead because you can stand him up at the gates of hell, <laughs> but he won't
0: back down. But I felt like, there were tons of tweets <laughs> like that. I was like, good, this is awesome for Petty. So my reaction to that was, like, this is, this sucks that it got released and everyone was like, oh, he's dead. But then yeah. I was like, honestly, he's probably going to die in a couple hours anyways. I was like, what's the difference? And Sean, that's uh, exactly what happened.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. News later that night, Petty did end up dying. Um, And, you know, like we say every time this happens, whether it's Prince or David Bowie or Scott Weiland or or, uh, Chris Cornell, any number of musicians, like, I think a lot of people didn't realize how much of Tom Petty's music they liked or took for granted before he died.
0: Thoughts? Yeah. Um, it's really sad. It's really shocking. It sucks. He's pretty young. 66. Yeah. And I th- think this is only going to keep happening to us as we get older. And I think this is one of the weird realities that you face and get used to as you get a little bit older. Is just these icons dying. And it's not really something we were conscious of or had to deal with a lot when we were younger. Sure, celebrities died, but we didn't really have the context for them and didn't have have a lot of time with them or an emotional connection to them. And when we look at Petty or we look at any of those other artists you mentioned, like we have an emotional connection to them in whatever way. Maybe you weren't the biggest fan, but maybe someone you knew was or you had heard those songs in passing or whatever it was. Someone as big as Petty, you're going to have at least some kind of connection to. And it's one of those things where... It's always kind of upsetting when it first happens. Yeah. And then you're like, well, wait, I didn't know this person. But everybody around you has some kind of connection and some kind of reaction to it. Like people at work who usually I just talk about work stuff with. It's like, oh, did you hear about Petty? Because they know I'm like a music guy. And then that's a little human connection It's a connection. that you have exactly. there. So. I think for those reasons it actually kind of brings people closer together and you can kind of share in, in your your love of this particular icon. So for that reason it's a little bit nice, but the the news is always kind of tough to take and is really, really sad.
1: I agree. This one's sad on a couple of levels where I, he was still pretty young. I mean, 66 isn't young in a true sense, but it's it's definitely not like you're usually not dying at 66, I feel right. like. I feel like, like you, McCartney
0: is a decade older and he's still
1: out there, you know. Puttering around. Yeah, and like putting on shows at Madison Square Garden that we're going to. Um, but Tom Petty, I think I realized through this, and I maybe I've always known this somewhere, like you'd be really hard-pressed to find anyone who has a bad thing to say about Tom mm-hmm. Petty. Most people like really like his music, will sing along to songs, and it's Stephen Hayden who made the comparison of Petty is like concrete or water or some public work where it's, like, it's just there, it's in the atmosphere, it's around... You probably like it, but you don't think that much about it because you've always taken it for granted. Like, how many times have you heard Free Fallin' or I Won't Back Down or American Girl or Mary Jane's Last Dance on the radio?
0: Or how many times have you heard American Girl in some piece of pop culture? Yeah, exactly. Off the top of my head, I know it's been in a bunch of TV shows, Scrubs being one of them. I love Scrubs. Big shout out. Uh, That was in an episode of the same name, American Girl and uh famously in silence of the lambs as well so like it's there's that pop culture element of it too where it's like he's so closely tied to a lot of these other beloved works that it's yeah you're going to have some kind of reaction to this quick note about american girl that i thought was really really interesting i and i maybe you knew this already but i didn't did you know that is the last track on that album Yes, I did know that only because I like learned that in the last 2 days. I think that's
1: a really interesting feels choice. like an opener
0: or like one of those second or third tracks yeah. that's like the big single.
1: But I kind of like it cuz that's so different. Yeah, you never see a song like that last
0: it's on weird. an album. It is weird. And and the Strokes, didn't they say they like ripped that off that opening that riff? Yeah,
1: like rhythm is in last night. Um and that's pretty much where the ripoff ends uh but he was but petty got kind of ripped off all over the place like mary jane's yeah. last dance uh is basically the exact same chord progression and rhythm and you could argue lyrically uh sort of similar to danny california by the way <laughs> yeah, on chili yeah, pepper you can sing one, one yeah. eat, like one of them over the other yeah. uh up to the chorus but yeah man i mean like i think for me petty was someone where he He's a great, great singles artist. I've listened to Damn the Torpedoes before. I listened to it a couple times in the last few days since he died. And that's a great album. Uh, but for me, it's always been... This is someone I turn to. It's like every now and then when I want to hear one of these awesome songs. Yep. And it actually is crazy how deep his songbook goes. It is. Like, he has on Spotify... It's actually a little frustrating. Two I know. pages. I know. There's the Tom Petty page. And there's the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers page. The Tom Petty page has... Um, Uh, The Wildflowers album and Full Moon Moon River. Full Moon Fever. I almost called it Full Moon River. And then Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers has all the other albums. It's confusing. Every one of those albums, with some exceptions, has like at least two, if not three, or four big hits. And his Spotify top ten for both pages are loaded. Yeah, they are. Like both are loaded. Uh, This was a dude who wrote. A ton of just classic songs that pretty much everyone appreciates. You know what's
0: interesting? I know basically all of those songs. Some of them I actually didn't even know were Tom Petty until today. Really? Other ones I obviously knew. I've never listened to a Tom Petty album in full on my own volition. The only one I have is Damn the Torpedoes. The only one I have is Full Moon Fever because my dad owned it and would play it all the time. My dad Uh. really likes Tom Petty. Other than that, I've never listened to a full album by Tom Petty.
1: I feel like the, the cool thing about Petty too is he's relatively—he's not offensive. No, no one's gonna get yeah, bothered no, by his no. stances. He—he he seems, by all accounts, to be this like Southern stoner, just sort of chill guy. Yep. And he's like, I'm gonna write a bunch of great songs yep. and be in a great rock band yep. and play this Rick and and just be yep. like a fucking cool dude. Yep. Like I, everyone can appreciate Tom Petty. He's like, there's not enough people like him. There's not. There's really not.
0: And, and now there's one fewer. And, and there's one fewer. It's another big loss for the for the music world. Want to do our uh, Mount Rushmore of yeah. Tom Petty songs? Let's yeah. do it. Let's... We don't no
1: need to save it because no. it, it makes sense now. No, but, let's do it. You want to kick it off? Yeah, so this week, in honor of, of Tom Petty, we're going to do um, our Mount Rushmore of Tom Petty songs. This was harder for me than I anticipated. Not because it's hard to pick four, but because it's hard to narrow it down to mm. four. I there are legitimately on on a given day there's probably ten to twelve options, like eight to ten options that I could realistically have in this. The ones I went with are "Refugee," uh, which is one of I think his biggest hits, one of his best songs. It kicks off "Damn the Torpedoes." Uh, "American Girl" it's a, a classic. You can't go wrong with that song. I have you don't know how it feels. The song off of "Wildflowers." So a later. Track from uh, Petty. I've always loved the melody of this song, and there's the general vibe, the harmonica in it. I love uh, the vocal harmonies in the chorus, and then I have "Running Down a Dream," which is one where I could have been replaced by others depending on my mood. Like I considered "Don't Do Me Like That," I considered "Mary Jane's Last Don't Dance." Don't do me like that. Yeah. like dude, yeah, I love that song. Yeah, it's a great song. Um, but I went with "Running Down a Dream." Because that riff is awesome, classic, and it was one of the first riffs I could ever like competently play on guitar. Oh, nice, that's so awesome. It, it so was, it was a big moment for me when I got that's that down because awesome. like that yeah. sounds good and it's dude,
0: it's really easy. Yeah, it's
1: all in one string. Uh, <concealer> you just walk it down. Yeah, I
0: could I could hopefully play that. You probably I think yeah, you could play. That's it. awesome. Uh, so for mine I have American Girl I think that's I think that's his best song that's my favorite song by him um, I think you could, you it's could definitely the, make a strong argument the basic pick but I don't care it's a no. great fucking song uh, I also have Mary Jane's Last Dance this song so it's interesting because my dad listened to Tom Petty a lot when I was a kid and I did that thing that I think a lot of kids do is they just kind of resent some of the music that their parents play that they don't have a say in, basically. Totally. Oh, totally. So I was like, oh, I don't really like Tom Petty. But then when I heard Mary Jane's Last Dance in that guitar riff, I was like, this song is badass. I was like, this is an awesome song. That was the one that kind of started winning me over with Tom Petty, and I've always loved it since then.
1: Not to name drop him for the second time in this podcast, but did you see Stephen Hyden's retrospective that he wrote about Petty? I didn't get a chance to read it. He... Had this awesome fact in it About Mary Jane's Last Dance That I thought was so cool Evidently when Petty Was putting together His Greatest Hits album He recorded Mary Jane's Last Dance Just new As a new song And included it On his Greatest Hits Before anyone That's ever knew so it so
0: cool Cause I was like Wait what album is that on I don't think
1: it's on an album That's actually fucking awesome. Dude, that is... <laughs> that's awesome. That's like, uh, I called game. <laughs> yeah, that's Petty calling his fucking shot. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Because that's, that's an all-time great track. So yeah, Mary Jane's Last Dance is up there. I also have Running Down a Dream. I, I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of Tom Petty. I think of Tom Petty playing the Super Bowl yeah. up there, playing the Running Down a Dream Ooh, Not riff. a Super Bowl we like to remember. No, it's not. Yeah. it's not.
1: Stay tuned to the post-show for more about that. And then uh, I have Breakdown. Breakdown is a...
0: Breakdown!
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's so the one where he kind of it, it takes on this almost
0: Spanish accent. Yeah.
1: Whole, it's alright if you love me. <laughs> yes. It's alright if you
0: don't. He does, <laughs> he does that old yeah. thing. Yeah, so I got Breakdown on there. What uh, do you think was behind the decision to sing that like that? I, I think that's just kind of his like voice sometimes, though. He usually
1: doesn't do as much of it. Like yeah, an accent it is that. put
0: on a little bit. I don't know, but either way, it makes for a great song. So, yeah, that's our Mount Rushmore of Tom Petty songs. Tweet at us, at Listen in pod to let us know what your favorite Tom Petty songs are or what your experience with Tom Petty was. A quick final thought about that after going through the Mount Rushmore. It's really, really fun to talk about Tom
1: Petty songs. It is.
0: Yeah. You know what I'm excited for
1: is this weekend to listen to some Tom Petty songs while we're camping. Absolutely. Big spoiler alert to the uh, listeners that we're going camping. We now jump Mm. to our next segment. I think hopefully a little bit happier. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Hot Thoughts. New albums, a couple here we're going to talk about. The first being the new release from The World is a Beautiful Place and I Am No Longer Afraid to Die. Their new album's called Always Foreign. Um, this is their first release since Harmlessness, Harmlessness. which came out two years ago. Yep. Around the same exact time, actually. Yeah. They were released the same week, two years apart. Um
0: What have you been thinking of this album, Sean? I've been really, really liking this album. This band, something about them. They have this this energy, this edge, this tenacity to them. And they they captured that energy so well on record. I think they did it with Harmlessness. This one seems to be even more kind of like we're we're going for it in terms of Of that tenacity that I mentioned. And I think a lot of this feels very prescient for the events that have happened lately. And I think is one of the first true responses that we've gotten to last year's election and some of the events that have happened since then. Um, I feel like these albums are going to start trickling out now. And this one definitely seems like one. There's songs on here that are... Directly, basically influencing or, or, or referencing Trump, like I can't wait till you're you're dead or or something like that. Well, or, I
1: think Faker is all about Trump.
0: Faker, yeah, Faker. I think that's the song I'm referencing. Yeah, um, Faker
1: seems to be all about Trump. And then there's it might be Marine Tigers, but I'm still at the point where I'm I have listened to this album a bunch of times, but not paid a ton of attention to track names. There's the one where he's like, "There's nothing wrong with Jose." There's nothing wrong with Moses. Yes. There's all this stuff about. Yes. Um, basically, there's a lot of. Overtones about illegal immigration and yeah. like there's nothing wrong with these people,
0: and I think Marine Tires might be the one. It's directly about racism towards Puerto Rican people, right. and that is right on the nose for what has been happening with, you know, the lack of hurricane relief or lack of empathy from Trump in terms of. What's happening there? Even though he was like jump shooting paper towels at people, which felt like how the fuck was that even real? Like what 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 was that? I I don't know. It was so weird and like insensitive. Like what the
1: fuck? I don't want to go too far on this, but everything he's done with that has been insensitive. He's yeah. like cracking jokes down there about how it's affecting the budget. He out called out the mayor of like one of those towns down there um, and just shit all over him. Oh, was uh, like these people like won't help themselves. And then goes down and pretends to be their friend. The savior, anyways, yeah, yeah. Anyways, stick to music, <laughs> um, which is hard with this album. Uh, two major things I'm noticing, and you've spoken to one already. It feels as though um, the world is has dialed in the specificity of their lyrics even yeah, tighter. Yeah, these feel like very specific. Lyrics geared towards topics and towards themes Where I think with the last album They were working towards some of that Like the January 10th I was say, song th-
0: These feel very much more in line with January 10th Compared yeah. to some of the other ones maybe
1: Where that song is like There's no mixing up what it's about It's almost a story And some of the other songs There's some more opaque maybe vague mm-hmm. lyrics mm-hmm. Um, I feel like with this one They're doing a lot of more specific things with the lyrics, like For uh, for Robin is an example, yeah. or, uh, or uh, yeah, For Robin, where he's talking about, I assume Robin Williams, or some artist, because he's saying, like, missing an artist for the lack of their art is one thing, like, we we hate what they did, but true grief is this other thing. Like, I miss going with Steve to get whatever, right. chicken or whatever, yeah. I miss going to the bar with this person and getting drunk on the clock yeah. and he's talking
0: about real loss versus the celebrity loss I that's the way I interpreted that song I have not because still I and that's a point I wanted to make is the lyrics on this album are so dense and tell these really specific stories it takes a long time to unpack that it does and I've just been doing it in dribs and drabs here and there I'm like oh I know what you're referencing with this I get that and then try and work my way backwards so For Robin is one of those songs where I'm like I know this is about somebody dying and about like missing certain things I don't know what the narrative is entirely yeah. So that's a really interesting insight into that And you're probably right the on what that is The sense I've
1: gotten is based on the line Missing an artist for the lack of their art And he then he says it's like a certain Kind of loss but it's not true loss That's the way I've read it um, So first point is the thing about lyrics. Second point, they've continued the trend Of dialing their sound back and, and making it I don't think any less effective But it's more muted and I think it's more complex In different ways where um on the previous record there were there were more explosive huge like emotionally resonant musical moments like i can't uh what's it called i can't live here uh no that I can believe in anything or i can
0: what's um. it called
1: later in the track list. Yeah, I know you're
0: hold on. I, I got it. There's for one you. of the huge I, huge like crescendo near the end. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, it's uh I, I can be afraid of anything. I can be afraid I, of I anything. I get that confused with I'll believe in anything by Wolf Parade. Cuz both are like these yeah.
1: And what I was also conflating it with is the first track off that album which I think is called I can't live there anymore. You can't live there
0: forever. You yeah. can't
1: live there forever. Yeah. A lot of not not a lot of preparedness on this episode. <laughs> but what I'm think what I'm saying is there's shorter songs on this album. There are compositions that are less Focused on like exploding in sound and having these big eruptive, uh, not choruses even, but just moments. And they're, I feel like they're more insular, sort of little moments that sometimes build, but they, I feel like they're dialing back. Not only
0: distortion, but just like the, the big grand sound, it feels like it's a little tighter. Yeah, and what was really interesting to me was a lot of the songs on here are just a lot shorter than what were yeah. on the last album. Like it starts off with a song that's two and a half minutes, second one's two and a half minutes, third one's three minutes, and it's just it's a very quick kind of track list it's all, and kind of start to fly through. And it's a little bit different because we had some of those longer songs on the last record. Speaking of that complexity, though, and how they're really kind of going for it and, and dialing that in, I guess the last song, Infinite Steve, was originally written for harmlessness. Oh, really? Harmlessness. And they, it was, like, too complex, and, like, it was, like, too hard, so they're like, we're going to shelf that. Oh, like, really too
1: hard for the band to learn? Yeah,
0: we're going to revisit on on another record, and it ends up here. So that's really interesting, too. So I think musically compositionally in terms of rock bands right now world is beautiful place seems to be one that is really pushing it in terms of what a rock band can do and kind of put together in terms of song structure it's like it's very complex they seem to be one of the few bands that are really pushing that in a new different way
1: they're definitely up there it's one of those bands that makes you wonder if you're trying to listen to it like how would you even write this how, I know, Like, yeah. how would you go, like, where do you start? Yeah. Do you start with, like, a riff on the guitar, and, like, you sing some melody over that, and then the band kind of builds off that? There's also some cool instrumental flourishes that maybe were there before, but I feel like I haven't heard much of, like, there's some horns on this album. Yes. Some sort of, like, chaotic horns that remind me of um, that track on Helplessness Blues by Fleet Foxes, yeah, yeah. Um, or, like, the National Anthem by Radiohead. Right. Like, chaotic Yeah, horns at the end of are, Marine Tigers, there's, yes. there's some, and it's awesome. With yeah. some dissonance and yep. some sort of sort of that that brings I, I think it brings from this mood of chaos yep. at that
0: at that moment. Yep. Um really, really cool. Yep, I totally agree. And, and there's also some nice like keyboards and synths going on in the background that yeah. I think are a lot more noticeable here than maybe they were on, on any other past release. I, I wanna ask you about kind of how this band is discussed or covered in the realm of indie rock, emo rock, and just music in general. So Pitchfork, Ian Cohen reviewed it for them. Gave it an 8. Got it an 8. I, I think they've upped his ability, his, his they have. highest threshold. They're like, you can't give it a Best New Music, you can give it as high as an 8, and that's kind of your range. So he's like, alright, any bands that I love, Sorority Noise, World's Beautiful Place, I'm just giving an 8 because yeah. I can. That's, that's what I thought and, too. And like, I think that's cool. However, I think this band is still just kind of not talked about. Leading up to this album, didn't really get talked about at all by anybody and it kind of snuck up on everyone much like harmlessness did like what what is it about this band that no one wants to talk about or acknowledge i think there's a couple things i think one it's they don't come
1: across as approachable once you listen to the world is a beautiful place especially this album and the previous record you realize that it's actually pretty accessible and it's really really cool But they don't come across that way. You look at them on Spotify or something, and there's this huge album title (laughs) where, like, their picture of them is it's these nine members of a band. And, like, are they a Screamo band or aren't they? Because their first album seemed like it was. And, like, what even are they as a band? I just feel like they're sort of confusing to people. I think that in some ways, people don't really know what to make of them because they've progressed a lot musically i never loved that first album by them i listened to it a couple times there's some really good songs on it but their most recent ones they've they've dialed a lot of what was their sound back
0: then sort of back and i feel like they've changed musically somewhat so which one are you talking about are you talking about whenever if yeah ever yeah okay so i think they've had other releases that were technically before that Oh, okay um like formlessness formlessness I think was technically like their first release that got re-released uh, last right. year. That's right. That's true. And then I, I always think, think of they have this other one album. called "Are Our, Are um, Our Here to Help." Basically, uh, it's it's I think it was a split potentially. So they're a band too that I think is hard to nail down exactly yeah. what their discography is and what the sequence is, which I think is another reason that could make them harder to get into. I think whenever, if ever. Actually starts off like the okay. This is yeah. this is that iteration of the band. That album's actually really good. I would I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. There's some great songs on there. Um, like uh, Gig Life is is a favorite of mine, and Heartbeat in the Brain is another really good Heartbeat one. Heartbeat in the Brain is. is I would it. go. I would revisit that, and I think you'd be surprised at how similar it is to the sounds on Harmlessnessness, Harmlessness, and Always Foreign. <laughs> I think it falls right in line with that same thing. So okay. I get the sense
1: from when I listened to it that
0: it was a little more intense. It might be, but it's still... I think the bones of what they are are still there. I would, I, that one is considered one of the flag tent uh, tentpole releases of the emo revival. Although, oh, yeah. this, is the, this is the other conversation I wanted to get into was... I don't know how much I actually associate this band with some of the other acts in that emo revival. Like, this band I, I ch- think of differently than, like, Hotel Year yeah, or they, Modern Baseball or any of those bands. And, and they get lumped in, but I don't know if that's totally fair. Well, when
1: I the way I've always sort of felt it is that I think they've progressed away from that sound more since um, Whenever If Ever. I feel like then they were more in the vein of an emo band. And I think they've progressed to a point where now... You can still call them that because there's things they do that are hallmarks of emo. But all in all, they don't really sound a ton like an emo band to no. me. I,
0: I, honestly, I think with Always Foreign in particular, they kind of transcend genre. Because they're doing things that are just like, oh, that's like a pump, punk song. This is like a pop song. This is like a prog rock song. Like, they're doing a lot of different things on here that I don't think it's easy to box them into a genre. And that could be one of the reasons why the larger music press is kind of like... Eh, I'm not going to touch this. Yeah, you know? well, like
1: for every reason, they, they come across as inaccessible. Like whether it's their name, how many members they have, yeah. how do you tell the story of this band? Right. And, like there's no easy narrative here. What yeah. are they about? They seem like they're pretty private. Yeah. Not willing to, you know what I mean? Like I don't feel like they give a ton of interviews or whatever. Right. I don't think there's a lot written about them. Um, and I think it does come back to a lot of those factors. Um, and it's it just like, musically it's very dense. It's mm-hmm. it's uh I wouldn't say experimental cuz it actually trends poppy in a lot of ways but complex. Yeah. Compositionally.
0: Yeah. oh 100%. 100%. Um,
1: and I don't think it's an easy sell in no. a lot of
0: ways. No. And they've no. done
1: a lot of that to themselves.
0: True. Yeah. I mean they're unyielding in in kind of what their vision is and what they want to do which you have to respect and the results speak for themselves. Oh, I think they've put out great records and I'm really really enjoying this. Um but there's almost an element of you got to play the game a little bit, and yeah, maybe, but I, I don't know. I've been all in on this album. Ian and Cohen bangs their drum pretty hard, and he, has been a great advocate for them. He so does. big shout out to him.
1: Yeah, I had a big day with this album today. I actually listened three times
0: nice. to at work today. Yeah. It, was, it was a
1: big listen to the world is day, yep. and they more than a lot of bands. If I get in the right mood for them, it's like all I want to listen to. Me too. To. I was
0: that way on Monday, I believe, where I think I listened three or four times, and. I got to the end, and I was like, all right, well, what do you want to listen to next? I was like, well, I just want to listen to that again. And yeah. I, I did a couple listens in a row. I so. was in one of those groups yeah. with that album it's today. Nice, and I got that way with Harmlessness, too, Me too. a couple years ago. I went back and listened to that album. Holy fuck, that's still... Delivers.
1: Yeah, that album is really, really,
0: really good. I think good. I like it more now than I ever have. Which album do you like better, Gut Reaction? Uh, well, it's still early on on this one, but I think Gut Reaction, it's still got to be Harmlessness. That's my Gut Reaction, yeah.
1: too. As good as Always Foreign is, I think there's something to be said about those, excuse me, like climactic emotional I, highs I, I, that I they bring
0: with, with Harmlessness. I, I agree, I agree. Uh, all right, let's move on to our other hot thought for the episode, Kamasi Washington comes out with a new EP, Harmony of Difference. This is the follow-up to his what was it, 2015 album, The Epic. Might have that been three, 15. almost three-hour jazz. That might even have been last Epic. year. I believe it was 2015. I don't think it was last year. We're going to double-check this right now, though. We're going to fact-check, and I'll filibuster. This comes down to preparedness. It is listeners. preparedness.
1: That's been a running theme throughout the podcast. So Kamasi Washington is a saxophone jazz man. It was 2015. Okay. May of
0: 2015. My
1: bad. Um, and he he comes from the school of jazz that involves guys like Thundercat and he had he had a band. I think they were called the new the new something of jazz, and which is really really compelling radio for me to again like forget the name of something. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. That's Real jazz
0: get... cat, Jake Deschutes here Yeah, you know me. No, um, he's wearing his Miles Davis kind of blue t shirt. Uh, he is not. But... I am
1: wearing a kind of blue shirt. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. In yeah. that the shirt I'm wearing is kind <laughs> yeah, of blue. Yeah. Uh,
1: so Kamasi Washington, saxophone player and seemingly jazz composer extraordinaire. This new EP. Um, is not short like a, like you'd think of a Rocky. It's like basically like a, a
0: full-length album. It's 31 minutes long. It's six songs. There's a 13-minute track on here, which is as long as most other Rocky EPs, EPs are. It's,
1: just, it's like longer than... That song is longer
0: than some Joyce Manor albums. <laughs> it actually is. It is. It's like the but same length or longer. What I have to say, honestly, this is the perfect entry point for Kamasi Washington. This is very accessible jazz. This kind of runs the gamut of a lot of different styles I think almost yeah. where it's like you get a little bit of this a little bit of that and it's short enough where you don't need to spend three hours listening to the entire thing you can just kind of get a taste move on this is the jazz that I love I've been loving this EP for that reason and for reference
1: listeners Sean's not over exaggerating because the epic was literally three hours long yeah it was three hour long albums strung together. I had a little bit of a run with that album, but it was hard to string together yeah, too many how can listens. You? Because, again, it's three hours. Yeah. So you listen three times, it's already nine hours. Right. You've listened to that record. Right. Um, I've been really liking this too. It's it's actually really catchy for a jazz yes. album. There's a lot of little returning motifs that he comes back to. these. And I think what I noticed today for the first time is in that last, that final 13 minute track, he's actually bringing back all the motifs from all the different songs into one
0: big track. Did not realize that, and that makes me like that song even more. That was always my favorite on here. Yeah. Truth was always my favorite. I like that even more. And I
1: think the reason that you end
0: up liking it by the time you get there you, is... You're primed for it. He's laid yeah. the groundwork.
1: Oh, you've heard man. this little bit here, you've heard that little bit here, you've heard the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, like over <laughs> yes. and over at yeah. different points. Um, there's some really, really cool things they're doing with this album, and I, I love that we have people like Kamasi Washington actually, to use a phrase you used earlier, beating the drum for jazz here mm. a little bit. Um, and, you know, he, this is a really good album. And I think it could be one that gets, hopefully, some small subsection of people into jazz a little bit. Because uh, I've, I've been really, really digging it. And, like you said, it, it is a good entry point when the epic is. Hardly accessible at all Given it's right,
0: length Right I mentioned my dad earlier Big Tom Petty guy He also loves um, Herb Albert In the Tijuana Brass Oh okay So I was like You know what I'm going to send him I'm going to tell him that This is I like this jazz record This EP It's been getting great reviews I shared it with him via text message through Spotify. Yeah. And uh, he's like, "Oh, I listened to one song. It was okay." I was like, "You got to listen to the whole thing. It's like half an hour. Just listen to the whole thing." Yeah, it's really cool. So, I yeah, hope maybe he'll he'll re-listen and come around, but
1: I feel like Kamasi Washington it's cool too to hear him. I think kind of reference other players with his sax, his sax playing. I think like anyone, this is probably the most obvious statement of all time. But I'm sure he's influenced by Coltrane, yeah. Because yeah. he's doing some stuff on this album, and I've heard him do it before, where he does that almost screeching with yes. the saxophone, yep. where he's like playing yep. out of the instrument's yes. actual range, yes. and it's making that blown out yep. sort of screeching Super sound, cool, yeah. That is all over a Love Supreme by yeah. Coltrane. Um, really, really cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been really digging this this EP, and I I think it, it's a good. Like you said, entryway, but it's also just like a really, really good album. It is not 100%. just if you want to get into jazz; I think just in general,
0: it's it's been good, f- like for doing work. I've been going back to this one a few, uh, a decent amount this week. Yeah, nice, more than I thought I would. Uh, all right, let's move on, Jake. To again, another kind of somber, sad, really sad topic. Actually, the the saddest of the of the night. This is the Las Vegas concert shooting that happened uh, late what was it, Sunday night? Sunday yeah, night? it was late Monday Sunday night because I remember I woke up on Monday yeah. to the news um, of it happening. So when I, I woke up and I, I looked at Twitter as I normally do and I saw this news coming in, and it just set the day off on, on a bad note, bad tone. And it, it's it's really sad, obviously, because of the loss of life, an life, uh, un, unneeded loss of life. But also, I think just... It, we're going to look at this in the frame of of kind of the music community and going to concerts and things like that. It's sad because this safe space that should be a place where people go to kind of have this collective experience is increasingly an unsafe space now. If you look back at the past year at all the things that have happened, the Ariana Grande concert, the Eagles of Death Metal concert in Paris... Yeah the Orlando nightclub shooting all these things it's starting to add up that you know maybe these collective experiences where people go to you know have a good time are not always the safest place and it's infringing upon that freedom or, or that you know that carefree mentality that you have when you go to these shows so I think on the one hand obviously the loss of life is a tragedy but also the fact that you know these things that should be fun and should be uh, a relief from some of the bad things that happen in the world. You got to think in the back of your head, like, oh, maybe something could go wrong here.
1: Well, it's even worse because, like you said, like as an event, it's horrifying. But then, like you were alluding to, what it does to your psyche going forward is is terrible. It, it's hard because, like in 2012, there was the movie theater shooting in right. Aurora, Colorado. And at the time, I think we've told this story even before, but we worked in a movie theater when that happened, and you could tell it had a serious effect on people going to movies like if peop If people saw someone going to an emergency exit mm. at like next to the exit up near the screen, sometimes people would come out and like talk to a manager but like, mm-hmm. just so you know like someone left the theater like we don't know what's going on. I remember I was I rattled and. Ever since then, I, I, most movies I go to, I actually do think of it once or twice during the movie. I'd be like, what if like that happened wow. right now? Yeah. And it's the same with, with concerts. Like, Especially, like you said, Ariana Grande had happened, uh, Eagles of uh, Death Metal had happened, and now this. Um, it does start to cross your mind when you're at a concert because you've seen footage on Twitter or on mm-hmm. social media or on the news of... People at concerts like filming one of their favorite mm-hmm. artists, and all of a sudden you hear the pops of a yeah. of an automatic rifle. Yeah. The foot. I don't know if you saw it, dude, but the footage from this was horrifying. I, I,
0: I actively avoid watching yeah. any of that. Just, I, I don't need to watch it. Yeah, I mean, like uh, I, I I try to stay away from. it I don't much blame as you, dude.
1: And I didn't watch a ton of really graphic content, but there was some where it was just people like using their phone to film the concert, and you hear like clear as day, just like hundreds of pops. Oh my god! Just like do, 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 like coming from this window. Wow. This dude and like it, it's so fucking horrifying that someone would do this. And what's crazier about this one is no one knows why this guy did it. At I know all. they still don't. They don't know why. Like this guy has no background. Oh, no. and seemingly everyone is just baffled. Yeah, that's the freakiest thing to me. Just is like, like the- what what drives a person, especially someone who has seemingly no connections to any terror group no history of any kind
0: to just do this. And there's bigger conversations here about, you know, policy changes in terms of mental health or gun control, or yeah. even just the way that people... Much bigger conversations. The people are, are framing this, where I think we see a lot of the time when a white person does this, yeah. it's, oh, he, he's a mentally unstable lone wolf, and there's a reluctance to label him as a terrorist.
1: Well, and I think the thing is, is like in this case... That, like that is true, I think, on the whole. I think in this case, people are really like, no, like, we can't find anything with right. this guy. And right. that's sort of what's really right. weird about this case right. is like, there's no seeming connection to any cause or right. any
0: philosophy. Right. Well, yeah, and I think like I said, there's bigger conversations about other things unrelated to, to music or that we really can or want to address on, on our Humble Music podcast. But totally. I, I think the conversation about... You know the this is going to be in the back of your head when you go to a show, and we're we're going to talk in a little bit about how we're going to the national tomorrow to see them. And uh, you know, has this been something for you where if you go to a show, do you think about this or actively worry about it? Because I personally don't actively worry. No. However, when I am in a big crowd like that, I do have these almost passing, racing thoughts of, oh, that could happen here. That's weird. That's exactly. Oh, I find myself. Being in a situation where that could easily happen.
1: That's exactly what happens to me. I know I don't actively worry and I probably tomorrow when we go see the national, it'll cross my mind and I'll just kind of quiet that because it's right. the odds obviously are in your favor and there's right. no sense worrying about it. Um, but I have sat in my like college library when I was in college or movie theaters or music venues and had just like had it run through my head and thought about, well, where would I go? What would I do if a shooter was over there? What would I right. do if a bomb yeah, went off yeah. over there? Yep. What would I've I thought the same? Thing. Like, what would I do if my exit was blocked? Yep. How? What would? I, it, it's a horrible thing to, have to think about. Yeah. Um. But yeah, of course, it crosses your mind, and uh, you know, I I think at this point, the damage has already been done. Like I I as sad as it is, this event doesn't really add any more for me right. this
0: is just like it's just, just more the gr- most recent one that we, i was already thinking about it's yeah, just more yeah.
1: gratuitous violence yep. ungratuitous gratuitous violence it's yep. just constantly
0: yep. basically in the back of your mind yeah and like i said on monday like obviously this isn't great news to be getting but this really affected me in in ways that it maybe normally doesn't. And, and I had this almost disconnect from the rest of the world the rest of the day. Because I was like, why and how is this happening? What like What is going on that this is our reality and this is a headline? And it seems to happen so often. And it was this feeling of like, how can any of this be real? And that's a scary feeling to have yep. when you just feel that disconnected because of the carnage and... And horrifying events that are happening out there—that you have that feeling, your brain's like, "This can't be real," because it's so horrifying. Yeah. And your brain is almost like, "Let's not even consider this to be real or anything else to be real," because it's almost too horrifying to process that. And that's kind of where I was at on Monday, and it was—it's it, not a fun feeling to have. And no, I, that- I don't know. And it's—it's—it just basically bummed me out. Of course, and that's a symptom of good old existential crisis,
1: yeah. which yeah. I know well. And uh, yeah, it, it does become unreal. And it's like, it's it, you know it's bad when The Onion, for example, we've talked about this before on this podcast. That's how much it's happened, is that The Onion article I'm about to reference, not only have we talked about shootings before on this podcast that we've had for like not even two years... We've talked about this Onion article that is referencing the fact that this happens all the time. Yeah. Multiple times. And it's the one they share every time where it's like, there's no solution to this. Says only nation where this always happens. <laughs> right. And it's just like, it's frustrating. How many times do we have to see talk show hosts like crying yep. and making like an impassioned plea? Yep. To have our politicians please get out, step out from under the foot of the gun lobby, and do uh, yeah. a single yep. fucking thing about yep. this. And again, it's hard to talk about this just under the musical umbrella. I,
0: I uh, you I, you almost can't, and it's like it's like irresponsible to only talk about it under that umbrella because there's so many other conversations that need to happen for it. And I I saw one tweet um, about how. Nothing is going to change because of course not. we saw a school full of kids get shot and people said, you know what, I'm okay with this. I'm not going to make a change. That's where we drew the line. You think 50 adults, 60 adults in Las Vegas is going to do anything when a school full of kids was killed? No. So and, I, I've stopped hoping that there's going to be any change because there's not.
1: Well, that's what it comes down to is you see people with p- platforms i think this time most famously it was jimmy kimmel yeah and because his thing sort of went viral and he was crying throughout it like openly crying throughout yeah. it and it's it's that's when it's really sad cuz it's like dude nothing's going to change and yeah. i think he knows that and everyone who's making these pleas time and time again including obama when he was in office yep. and it like people who have platforms they just know like i'll make this plea again
0: nothing will happen again and we'll I'll, like see you here in 6 months and we'll forget about this in a few weeks and we'll wait for the next one and, and what makes me sick final thought for me on this is what makes me sick are the twitter accounts of these politicians who are on paper as getting donations from gun lobbies and 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 uh gun companies and oh, things yeah. like that Like, that is proven that they've just, they're in their pocket, basically. And they say, oh, thoughts and prayers to the victims. Like, your thoughts and prayers aren't doing shit. Yeah, no, they're not helping. How about you actually vote in a meaningful way on change? But it will never happen. It's the disgusting hypocrisy of it.
1: It'll never happen because they're gutless and they're bought and sold already. Uh, And last thought I have is I've often found myself wondering. If I were a performer, like with if I were Ariana Grande or Jason Aldean or mm. someone in uh, Eagles of Death Metal, like what is that moment like when you realize what's happening? You're playing to a crowd, and you like, dude, people. I think in the front row were getting picked off and shit. Like, yeah. what you you have to be seeing that? Yeah. Like, I, how does that affect your ability to perform going I, I, forward? And again, I, I that's I not to diminish what happened to people in the seats, right. Which was much worse, right? But the psychological toll as a performer. That has to be really something that 's hard to come I'm back sure from. there's
0: a lot of PTSD involved with that, and that must be very, very difficult yeah, because, because there's a different like that's your job that's your livelihood is you 're going out there every single night or every other night onto a stage, and like if you 've had that experience, how do you continue to go do that
1: i don't know and not to pile on or beat a dead horse with this because at a certain point it just even to talk about it it does become over the top. But, like, this dude was on, like, a 30-plus yeah. story window. Yeah. No one knew where this was coming no. from. It's not like there was some guy dead That you can
0: run away from yeah. or something. It's like, well, what, yeah, where is it? There was
1: nowhere to run. That's right. why so many people got killed. Right. There was nowhere to go. He just had, like, a, a, a crow's nest yep. view. Fuck.
0: It's horrifying, dude. Oh, my r- God. It, it's Honestly, it's too much. <sighs> it, it It really, really is. And, you know... I don't know, guys. Just if you're going to shows, don't, I I would say, don't let this affect it. I get, don't try to not think about it, but just like fucking stay safe out there. Stay safe. Yeah. It's tough,
1: man. Yeah. This world is, it's a fucking hard place. It is.
0: Let's wrap up. Uh, Speaking of going to shows, we are going to a show tomorrow. We're seeing the National in Boston, one of our favorite bands, my favorite active band. Um, Getting to see them on this tour is cool. We're loving this album. What are your What are your thoughts about this show? I can't wait because it's coming off of three straight albums
1: that I've loved as an active consumer of music. Yep, you know what I mean. Like if it were the High Violet tour back in twenty ten, I don't know how much I would have really known of their older material. But right. at this point. I have a very firm understanding of their back catalog, and I've also been an active consumer of their music since High Violet. And yep. so, like High Violet's come out, Trouble Will Find Me,
0: and now this most recent album, Sleep Well. Based. And you've obviously gone back, and you know the the other albums, sure, very and well.
1: Yeah, I know them now. And and what I mean to say is, it's exciting to have all that material right. to draw on, right. and have been an active fan of the National for years now, right? And. Like they have a huge catalog huge, they can pull from. Huge. I'm curious to see how they do the set list. I
0: am too. because I haven't
1: looked at set lists on I haven't the either.
0: I haven't either. And in the past, so I've seen the national a handful of times at this point. And in the past, they seem to have a very structured set list in terms of these are the songs we play. These are the ones that like we know are our big songs, and they kind of stick with that. Maybe have a couple interesting outliers here or there. Maybe with this new album, and you know, they mentioned how it was a freer experience. They didn't worry as much about other things. Maybe they'll be a little more experimental with the set list. Play some older songs that maybe they wouldn't otherwise. That would be really cool. So, out. Let, let me just say this: I, I'm not actually excited to go tomorrow, and it has nothing to do with the national. Yeah. I just, am, this is big time trust tree. I'm tired of going to shows. I absolutely know what you're saying. I'm pretty sick of it at this point. Um, I've the gone National s- is one of the rare bands at this point that I'll make an exception well, for. Yeah, I... The, the process of driving down there, finding parking, getting to the venue, getting in the venue, getting to your seat, sitting there, standing there, whatever, and then doing it all to get home is fucking exhausting. It's tiring, and if you live in a
1: city... Where you can just sort of walk or like leave your apartment and take a bus or a train to a venue, th- that's not the experience we're having because, like we've talked about before, we live in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is a dearth of culture. There's nothing happens right. here, so we can't. We don't have that experience. We can't walk ten minutes to a show right. and see the National. It's always, no matter pretty much where we're going, forty-five minutes to an hour yep. drive. And I, I, I know that some people might say like, "Hey, I'm from like the Midwest, right. And I drive two, three hours to see a show. So whatever. But I agree with you. I'm tired of that routine. The National is a band where I am willing to make the effort. I'm excited to see the show. And it's been long enough now since I've been to a show. Uh, well, no, we saw Paul McCartney <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, But that was another one where it's like I, I, I am really just excited right. for this. And,
0: and that's what I mean is i got to kind of pick my battles at this point. I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to go off to this show that I'm – marginally interested in just because I want to support the artist. It's honestly like, no, going to shows is tiring and like sort of overstimulating in a lot of ways. I need to really pick my battles and do ones that I really, really want to see.
1: Well, and as we've listened to more music and gotten into more bands, there are more shows to yeah, see. Exactly. Every week. Yep. If if we went to every show of every artist yep. we really liked that came to Boston or Portland, we'd be in a show almost every and week. And we'd be broke. Yeah, It'd be too much. Yep. It'd be too much. But, yeah, man. I, I'm also. I'm just excited to see the national and see Matt Berninger up there mixing weed with wine. You know <laughs> yeah, he will yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know it's always a good show with him. Yep. Um. And yeah, man. I'm excited to see what the set list is all about. I, I expect a obviously a fair dose of Sleep Well Beast. Yep. Mixed in.
0: I can't tell you how much I've been loving that album, man. It, it, it's more it's amazing. even since the podcast. That yeah, we did oh, about me too. It. Me too. Um. Do you have a sense of where it might land on your end of the year rankings? If I that, we're gonna have to sooner rather than later, we gotta put those together. Like we're like two months away from our end of the year episode, basically.
1: We are, and I uh, wouldn't it be interesting if that somehow coincided with one hundred.
0: It might be close. It's to be honest be, with you, it's, it's going to be real close. It's going to be close, especially since we we skipped that week in there. That might make it line up.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to be getting to it about yeah. early December. Especially If
0: we we might take another break for Thanksgiving week too. Like who knows? Possibly, might, or yeah. we'll
1: do like a quick one. I think we yeah. did last year. Uh, I have a feeling. I think I could safely say it's it's a top five album.
0: Oh, it's definitely a top five. It's definitely I could a very top, safely say right, that. right. It's the top three. It's honestly a matter of where it falls in the top. Two, to be honest with you, it's and, between that and, and Father John Misty. For now me let me right ask now. you
1: this question: What has
0: happened with a deeper understanding? Josh, Josh, big friend of the pod, had the best analogy for this on Twitter. He talked about how uh, sleep well, beast is who you marry, and then uh, a deeper uh, understanding is like a fling, you know, like it's who you bring home to your parents versus who you don't, and. Deeper Understanding was definitely that. It's still going to probably be around that top five somewhere. Definitely top ten. But it has not provided the sustained listens that other albums have.
1: Here's where I'll argue in a Deeper Understanding's favor as someone who, I, who also likes the Nationals album better. I think what is tough with that album now is that we did have that sustained thing. But it was with just half the album That's that true. he released as singles. That's true. It was with pain, and it was that's with true. thinking of a place. And uh, it's strangest, strangest thing. thing, yeah,
0: yeah. That's a that's a great point. So you got you almost have to treat it differently because yeah. thinking of
1: a place has been. I was more into that song two months before the album right. came out than I ever was when the album came right. out because I already listened to the song like forty times <laughs> right. when the record came out. Right. So by that time, I had already had my fling with exactly. thinking of a place
0: exactly, and yeah. I heard it
1: so many times that by the time. That album came out, it was in, almost in one ear out the other. Yeah. Not in a terrible way, in a way where I was
0: like, I know this song inside and out. Right. I've heard every nook and cranny right. of this song. Right. So, yeah, we talked about how that was probably to the detriment of the album when we first talked about it on the pod. I think even more so, it's probably to the detriment of how we view the album. But I'm going to take that into account when I make yeah. my end of the year rankings and I'm, I'm going to look at it as the year as a whole... And, oh, I loved this song earlier in the year, and that's part of this album. So it's still going to rank very, very high. You know what's really interesting to me to think about
1: is uh, I don't have any idea where...
0: Do you remember what was my number two slot halfway through the year? Yeah, it was like fucking Foxygen or something. Nope. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't. Uh, but, yeah, it was um, uh, Alex G. Yeah, yeah. Rocket by yeah. Sandy Alex yeah. G.
1: I have no idea where that's going to land anymore. Because yeah. that I couldn't have been more into it. You know what my number two was? When that came out. Um, mm. Your number three was Kendrick. Your number two... Uh, Menzingers.
0: After oh, the Party. That's
1: right. That might not make the top ten anymore. Dude, some we'll of, see. some of these albums from the first half of the year... Julie f- Byrne. Feel so long yeah. ago now. Yeah. Like, more so this year than past years. I know. Stuff from January, February feels like it may as well be just a totally different year.
0: Well, I think that is a product of, of us living in a completely different place than compared to where we are now. So it just feels different in a lot of other ways. That's
1: too. true. Is that for the first half of this year, first quarter of this year, we were living at uh, a, a, that house where we recorded right. many right. episodes. Right. And now we've both moved into our own place. So that has sort of like memories are totally right. positioned
0: in other places. Yep. This is going to be an interesting end of the year. Ranking. I'm starting to get really excited for the end of the year podcast. We have been brainstorming some end of the year superlatives that I've started to think about too. Yeah. I'm excited because this year too, I've put less pressure on myself to like have set rankings of things or a hierarchy of albums. I know like what my top two are generally. I don't know where things are going to land or what else is going to be in the top 10. And I'm kind of waiting another. Two months to do that and see like what I think of things once I get to December.
1: Me too. and I've always leaned closer to that uh, this year more than ever I've let myself just be like, don't even think about it You're at right. all right. Just like when you get to the end of the year, look at this list of albums and rank it them. Yep. And I'm excited to do it. Like there's so many great fucking albums I that know. came out this year. I know. That I, like
0: uh, Fleet Foxes. Yep. Where's that gonna end up? And the the thing I do when I think of any of these, I'm like, oh, it's top ten. Well, not everything can be no. top ten. No. So it's we'll
1: a, it, see. And the top ten ends up being pretty busy. It does. It you does. You know, like because off the top of my head, there's a lot I can think of. Like another is. Uh, um what's what's the, what are they called? Um I can't place it. Capacity is the name of the album. Oh Big Thief. Big Thief. I can't yeah. to say Beach Slang. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not beach slang.
1: <laughs> so there you go, listeners. A little impromptu end of year preview. We're getting there. We We're are get your there. list
0: together, listeners. Yeah. Any,
1: yeah, definitely, listeners. Start thinking about your lists. Any final thoughts, Sean, about the national and seeing them live? Uh, I where we started. I don't long want, and want to
0: physically go, road. but I want to. If there was some way where I could just be transported there for their set and then be transported home, I'd be in heaven. I just don't like dealing with the rest of the bullshit that comes along with concerts. That's how much I love the Nationals. I'm willing to put myself out there and do that. So that's my final thought. Pretty big sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. Pretty big that sacrifice. I'm paying them to make myself uncomfortable.
1: There you go, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's just the concert-going experience. It is. It's like that amazing Portlandia sketch where yep. they leave the show yep. and that blissful song about going home starts. It yep. couldn't be truer. Yeah. That's the thing about is like I'm loving it while I'm there. And then as soon as it's time to go, I'm like, yes. Yeah, thank God. Thank you. Because yeah. I'm tired and my feet hurt. Yeah. And like I want to get home. And I'm a big baby. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think that's that for this episode. That wraps
0: it up. We will be back next week. We'll talk about that national show and what we thought and uh, some other new album releases. So we'll talk to you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
1: you. Sean, did you see that
0: they're doing a Wes Welker of football life? Uh, is it just going to be about how he has CTE now? Is that going to be the twist ending? I, I can't speak to the twist ending, but
1: what I will say is that I think Wes Welker, um, while definitely someone who suffers from CTE, I think without a doubt, based on all the savage oh hits
0: he took. God, yeah. Do you remember that one he took from Ryan Clark on the Steelers? no because there were so many they all just blur together much I, like his memories now will
1: i th- i think the uh, <laughs> i think the worst one was he got absolutely fucking leveled mm-hmm. by Ryan Clark on the steel. I think it was Ryan Clark. He It was like one of those ones where he caught, turned around, and then was just fucking like the other <laughs> way. <laughs> oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he, was scary. He got laid out uh, yeah. and was backwards. No, what I wanted to bring up is that I actually think that would be a good watch. Because yeah, probably. Because in the preview, you get Tom Brady's perspective and Peyton Manning's. Yeah. And... Wes Walker is this interesting figure where like he was on the Patriots during some of their best years yep never won a Super Bowl never with never won the big one then went to Denver had that amazing offense amazing year. Yep. didn't win the Super Bowl yep. he never won one but he
0: is this really influential player he was on the two best offenses of all time statistically and didn't win a Super Bowl right
1: and he's a compelling figure like obviously because he there's a the whole thing about how no one wanted him or whatever mm-hmm. and like he came to the Patriots but also like a lot of New England fans, I feel like, write him off now.
0: Yeah, they don't like him because, one, I think they feel betrayed that he went to the Broncos when they were like at the height of that rivalry. I and, think it's stupid. And the fact that he... You could say he dropped that pass in the Super Bowl, even though I think Brady didn't throw a good ball.
1: It was just on both ends. Yeah. They both kind of fucked up. Yeah. Brady overthrew him a little bit. And dude, Welker... That's a tough fucking catch for someone with not a lot of length. Really tough. He was diving backwards away from the ball off his route and like he dropped it. Like that happens. And
0: and I think the other thing with Welker is he reminds Patriots fans of yes, great offenses and great seasons, but also of the weird in-between time where we lost two Super Bowls. And I think they almost resent him and those teams for being like almost too offensively focused. And there's this weird subconscious thing, at least I know I have it, where I'm like, oh, like, yeah, those teams could never win the big one, even though I know it's stupid. And there's lots of other things that go into it. I'll go to bat for Welker, dude. I always liked Welker a lot. I'm not going to lie. I like him less now than I did before. I think that it is. It's not fair, but. No, it's like you said, it's not fair. And,
1: like, dude, I think Welker was fucking awesome.
0: He was. He was. And if my rational brain is taking over, it's, yeah, Welker's amazing all-time great patriot, my irrational brain is like, ooh, Edelman's the better you. I don't think Edelman you could make the argument Edelman's better, but I think the numbers would actually bear out. And, and the whole reason my rational my irrational brain says that is like, well, Edelman's won two Super Bowls.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. I think what's happened is that Edelman is this proxy for Welker in the Patriot yep. in Patriots fans' minds where they're like, Well, now I have this scrappy he's, slot receiver yeah, who I can do. He's look everything for.
0: Welker should have been. <laughs> Welker was the finesse guy who could never really didn't have the grit to get it done. Edelman might not be as F- might not have the finesse or the sexiness that Welker had. Might not put up the, the as big of numbers, but he's gritty and he gets it done. That's like the irrational response.
1: I mean, there were a couple of years where Edelman put up similar numbers, but I, right. I mean, like he basically just took Welker's place, right? So, someone I won't ever get over not getting a Super Bowl with the Pats is Moss, so. Randy Moss. Absolutely, like, I, I should feel absolutely. really bad for that dude because he's an all time great. Was on, I still think the best team of all time. And doesn't get a Super Bowl no. ring? Like, do, like that is no. a bummer.
0: It sucks. It really sucks. I would love a Randy Moss football life. That would...
1: I think they, there are definitely documentaries about yeah, Randy Moss. Yeah. I've watched them before falling yeah. asleep before. Yeah. Like um, on
0: YouTube. Back to Blade Runner for a quick second. Uh, yeah, so, listeners, I, I watched Blade Runner for the first time last night. First of all, the name Blade Runner is one of the coolest movie names of all time. Take away the fact that it's like this Sci-fi masterpiece And that Harrison Ford was in it It was directed by Ridley Scott, etc If someone just told you, okay, there's a movie out there Called Blade Runner Would you be interested? The answer is yes, because that's an awesome fucking name
1: Yeah, title alone, yeah, I, I'd right. be down I mean, like, I'd look, what would actually happen is I'd look at Rotten Tomatoes first <laughs> right, And if, right, it right. Was, if it wasn't, honestly 75% certified fresh I wouldn't even consider seeing it Unless someone dragged me there I'm kind of with you. I I'm wouldn't kind of even with you on that. It.
0: I'm, I'm with you
1: on that. Um, Which is, I know, like being a slave to critical consensus, but yeah. here I am. It, if yeah. the boot fits.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing I was going to say about it is it's actually based on a novel by Philip K. Dick. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I have. Heard oh, of like, K. Dick. legendary sci fi author. Um, and the name of that book is Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, oh. which is another awesome name.
1: I've I've heard of that title. I didn't yeah. know that that is what Blade Runner yes. is. Yes. Yes. Is, and he also is it based of, like is it like part of that book or is it the it's whole like book?
0: part of it. I want to read that book. It seems amazing. It's like I guess they left a lot out of the movie that's in the book. I guess the book is like better. Um hmm. I would really like to read that book. I was looking into some of his other works. He also wrote *Man in the High Castle*. Oh. He wrote *Minority Report*. He wrote um, a bunch of other books that all have awesome names. Yeah, dude, awesome names is a big—it's a big deal for me. So, uh, from what I understand, he's like a legend, and all of his books are awesome, and all have like these really interesting ideas that talk about just like human elements and like what it means to be human and, and shit like that. So. Really, really interesting. A lot of his stuff has already been turned into either, like, movies or TV shows or, or something else. I think people... Like, he's the next dude where, like... or I mean, it's already happened, but uh, where people are just trying to get the rights to all of his stuff and turn it into movies or TV shows When or was he alive? I'm looking now. Oh, he died in 82.
1: He yeah, he was... He wrote. In 28.
0: He was, like, 60s and 70s were, like, the height of his... Of his stuff, yeah. I guess. Um, so yeah, things like um...
1: his. Do you know what his middle name is? Kindred. Interesting. Philip Kindred Dick. Wow. Dick is a, it's a tough last name to get dealt. Yeah. No wonder he became this fucking like sci-fi writer. I know. I
0: bet he could barely stand humanity after how much people made oh fun God. of his name. Yeah. Like really cool names though. Uh, like, do androids dream of electric sheep? The Man in the High Castle. The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. What? That's a cool name. Um, a Scanner Darkly. I don't even know what that means, but it just sounds really oh, cool. dude, A Scanner Darkly, they made that into a movie. Do you remember Did that? I, no. It, it's like
1: that one with, uh, I think, Keanu Reeves is in it. Um, and it's like partially, it's in that weird, like, part animated, part not animation style. Like, look. it.
0: Oh, I, yep. Yep, yep, yep. I know what you're talking about. Also, you know, you know what else? He he. Total Recall is also his. Okay. Um, and the Adjustment Bureau. The Remember adjustment? that movie with I, Matt Damon and uh, what John Slatterty?
1: Yeah, I saw that movie. Yeah, I did
0: too. That was at like the height of going to see like every movie at Cinemagic. I yeah. was like, yeah, I'll go. I'll check this out. It was pretty good. Like not great, but it was decent. I
1: thought that was a pretty good movie.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I've been. I have so many other books that I'm. I have going right now that like I need to read. This will be, I think, after this. This might be my way back into fiction because I've been a big nonfiction guy lately for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to to Ian about this at work, one of big my co-workers. Of the and I was talking about. I was like, oh, I've been reading mostly nonfiction. I've been getting like my escapism or kind of like stories from movies and TV shows. He's like, you know what's interesting? He's like. Any form of nonfiction can also be viewed as fiction, too. Because whoever's creating it, whoever's writing it... Like a documentary, for example, he brought up. He's like, whoever made that made choices of what to put in and what to leave out. He's like, it might be based in reality, but it's really just their vision of what reality is. And it blew my fucking mind. I was like, oh, yeah. Like, all, (laughs) all of this stuff is just entertainment... And, like, fiction and stories in its own way, even if it's real. I love the way that word that, oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, I... Well, it's true. That actually is what Tim O'Brien talks so much about in The Things They Carried. mm -hmm, When he's, mm -hmm. like, talking about, like, what is true, sometimes a false story is actually more true than what someone calls a true story. Right. Because isn't it weird to think that so much of life we dictate based on history, but history is based on people's... Inaccurate and faulty accounts yes. of what happened.
0: Yes. Because your memory just plays tricks on you and makes shit right, up. Right, right. And that is a lot of what Blade Runner and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is about, about what makes us human and can we trust our memories? Because basically the premise is these androids have had false memories implanted in them uh, to make them think that they are human. And it's like, well, if that's the case, like, how do we know that we're human?
1: Right, and their memories... If you're an android, excuse me, would probably be too precise, right? Like, if you're an android, is that the deal?
0: Uh, I, I No, I, I think it's, like, I don't know. I, oh. I don't know. Because, um, like,
1: it, how, what percentage of your life do you think you flat out don't remember? It has to be very high. Yeah. Like, think about, like, how many just regular Tuesdays do you remember? Do you re- does your, I know. Like, you might remember moments... But,
0: like, how many days at work just go un- unremembered? I think I read something somewhere that, like, you do remember those things. You just can't, like, access it easily. Well,
1: and it would probably... You'd need to have someone... Who thought something noteworthy happened? Yes. Bring it up to
0: you, and then you'd be like, "Oh yeah, right. I do remember that right. happening." Because basically, your brain's like, "That is not important and relevant information for your survival right now." So yeah. we're gonna cast that aside. I think it is there, though. I think you can access that.
1: Right. It's yeah, that's a fair point. It's there, but like you could like I, I couldn't if you asked me to like just it, like say what I did
0: three Wednesdays ago right, right I would now be able to, yeah I, I wouldn't be able to tell I have
1: I have not a no. I don't
0: have a single fucking clue no I have no idea. I would need something to jog my memory I would have to like look at my work calendar be like oh context. it was that day and
1: actually with the work calendar I could do it so you right. need like a
0: trigger right right exactly and that was the listening woke cast That's right yeah <laughs> a little too woke so yeah I, I would really like to read those books um But yeah, excited for this new Blade Runner flick. supposed to be pretty good.
1: Yeah, I think I have to see the original first. I don't know when I'm going to get the chance.
0: But I also want to see Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, All right, you ready to dive in? Yeah. Kind of a somber episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It is somber. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's dive in. Ready? Mm -hmm. Three, two, one.